שיעור. Good morning, Chair. And uh, morning. morning to all the other members of uh, SCOREC, members of the, the SCOPA, as well as COCTA. And also good morning to the staff from the office. I don't know who is here. I hope that they will assist me with the outcomes uh, presentation if we need to put it on the screen. <clears throat> But Chair, thanks very much yes. for the. Yes, we do. We do, AG. We, we need it. We uh, yeah, we do need it on the screen. We do need it on the screen. Jan, uh, yes. anybody around there, please, if you could. Yes, I'll, I'll assist, AG. If you could just start with the first page of that uh, presentation, I'll guide you which pages to go through. Okay, there we go, Chair, we in business. <clears throat> Chair, when we shared our audit outcomes uh, last week... But, but the well screen is... I don't think... Members, do you have the screen uh, with the presentation? I don't have from my side. I can see it on my side. Chair, I don't have, I have it on my end. Peter, Peter, Paul. I, I, I can see it from my head. I can see it. Okay. Okay, continue, AG, if, if everybody has it. I'll find my own way. Okay, Chair. As you would note uh, in this... Uh, it's not my side, Chair. Maybe it's only your members. Is it? I don't have it. But continue, AG. Try to find. Can you assist? You can go ahead, AG. Okay. Chair, where we started with the analysis of our audit outcomes for 2018-19. Um, this time around, we felt that it was important in order to have a message that will sink in the minds of many people who look at this local government audit report. So in trying to achieve that objective, Chair, we felt that let us try and anchor the local government audit outcomes around a key message that will resonate, we hoped, with all of the people that want to understand what's happening in terms of the management of finances in local government. In getting to that objective, Chair, we had to go deeper this time around. Deeper in the sense that after the audit reports were signed, I visited all the provinces to go and have a first-hand conversation <clears throat> with the auditors that were leading the different audits in the respective provinces. And we looked deeper into the financial statements chair in the way that we have not done before. And we felt after analyzing all the financial statements of these municipalities that this particular title to the report was fitting. 
And this title was fitting, Chair, in the sense that it was not arrived at uh, superficially. It was an outcome of a very detailed and deep analysis of what the financial statements tell us. And I want to repeat this point about the financial statements, Chair, because a lot of times when people analyze the audit outcomes, they will normally go for the low-hanging fruit. Among these will be things like irregular expenditure does not necessarily mean corruption, that type of stuff. And we felt these are just throwaway uh, terms in some instances without people having applied themselves to the real nub of what sits in the financial statements. <clears throat> and secondly, Chair, to analyze the audit outcomes without having a full appreciation of the financial statements is also another area that we wanted to close the gap on in coming around to the topic, as well as the title of this report. Because those things, Chair, about clean audit, adverse, disclaimer, can mean too many different things until you have an appreciation of what sits on the balance sheet, what sits on the statement of comprehensive income, what are the cash flows that are going in and out of the entity in order for one to have a full appreciation of what the actual audit opinion means. <clears throat> so one of the things that we wanted to discourage this time around <clears throat> was this preoccupation about analyzing numbers of clean audits now versus in the past, analyzing numbers of disclaimer opinions now and in the past. But no one ever has an appreciation of what exactly are we talking about in terms of the assets, the liabilities, revenues and expenditures, as well as the disclosures that are required to be made in financial statements. And so when we did all of that detailed exercise, we came around then to this particular title of the report, <clears throat> which told us that as has been the cry over a number of years, and as we have noticed it through the flows in financial statements, that there was not much that goes around in terms of resources to finance the different needs in local government. However, even with that limitation in terms of access to financial resources, we often found, based on the audit work that we did, that the people that are entrusted with managing these limited resources do not do a good job of it. Others are not trained properly to handle those massive volumes of transactions to a point where they almost become a conduit for those that know best. Those that know that they can pass on invoices and documentation that never makes sense. However, those that are less wiser in terms of the capacity to deal with accounting and financial management matters will probably not raise any problems. So that's what we meant when we said, not the right hands at the till. But secondly, because of the weaknesses in the internal controls that we have identified in the examination of these financial statements, it also creates a fertile ground for those that are also external to the entity to continue to try their chances by claiming uh, payments, by submitting invoices, as well as creating an environment where transactions get affected 
without proper oversight and monitoring over them. And it's a combination of those activities, the ones in the front line in finance, the ones that handle infrastructure projects, the ones that are in council whose job is to monitor and supervise. A combination of all of those efforts is what we are referring to when we say not the right hands at the till. And so that's how we, are, we arrived at this uh, title to this report. It was largely an outcome of <clears throat> that detailed analysis that we did. And I thought, let me spend a bit of time on this chair because so many other commentators have used it, have analyzed it, and have based their analysis also on it. And so it was not a superficial uh, slap on the face type of title, but it was a outcome of a very detailed and uh, deep analysis of what the state of finances coming from the past right up to the 2018-2019 financial year which we were auditing. So much for what that thing is about in terms of the title to the report. But Chair, I thought let's perhaps now have a look at what is actually the total reality of finances in local government as represented by the financial statements that we audited. And I think now I'm on page 14. I'll flip and flop, but I'll deal with all the slides, Chair. No worries, I'm not going to skip the important stuff. But I want to go straight to page 14 now, the one that's headed local government finance, the stark reality. Chair, one of the things that we wanted to point out, uh, Jan, that slide is a bit blurred. If you could please try and make make it more clearer. <clears throat> but let me continue, Chair, because the stuff that I'm going to speak to is largely on this slide. <clears throat> so, Chair, when we looked at all of these financial statements that we audited, we felt that it was also important to inform the public that will be reading this report exactly about how much we're talking about. Because of all these 229 audits that we completed, the total revenue that was reported in their income statements, in total for all 229 of them, barring the ones that were still outstanding, came to a total of about 226 billion. And as we know, this is just a direct charge for services rendered. It would be the services with regards to the delivery of water. It will be services for rates and taxes. It will be also revenue generated for electricity sold to various uh, consumers, whether it is households or commercial entities. But you will note because of the difficulties that local government has encountered over the years, <clears throat> if you look at that page, at exactly the last bullet, in that last bullet, Chair, we are saying that even though they wrote revenue in terms of what they've generated, in terms of the income statement of 226 billion, about 60% of that 226 billion, the ability of the municipality to collect it and convert it into cash is also doubtful. They've done this determination themselves, uh, Chair, because according to the financial reporting standards, any entity that has raised the debt owing by a third party, every financial year they are required to assess 
the extent to which that particular debt could be impaired, meaning that the, what is the portion of this 226 billion that the municipality, based on its experience, based on its knowledge of its uh, customer base, based on its assessment and evaluation of various factors that affect the irrecoverability of the debt, what is the extent to which this debt could not be recovered? <clears throat> and that is what the assessment of the 60% is. It is already factored in the financial statements. So when you go through the financial statements of any of these municipalities, you will find the line item within the analysis of the disclosure for accounts receivable, which speaks to a provision for doubtful yeah. debts, meaning that there's nothing really doubtful about the identity of the data. What is doubtful is the ability to recover the money owing by them. And that I think is a very, very important factor because it speaks to <clears throat> the fact that municipalities, when they budget, they budget at the beginning of the year with the expectation that they will get 226 billion in cash from the services that they render. Little do they know that about 60% of that as they proceed in the year will not be recovered. What that means, Chair, is that the cash on which they based their planned activities is much lower in terms of the reality of their collection, and therefore they will struggle to balance their books if they still push ahead with committing to expenditures that were planned in the beginning of the year. So I think that is a very important highlight and headline figure to note that not all that is raised as revenue is recoverable. And municipalities know this for a fact, and that's why they provide for it. But in certain instances also, it arises as a result of <clears throat> deficiencies in the revenue management systems, meaning that if a municipality is not able to adequately justify the charges that they place on somebody's invoice, the chances are that that particular consumer will always want to push back, knowing that you are also none the wiser as to what the real amount should be. And I think when we raise the flag, when we raise the flag in the financial statements about the lack of proper financial controls <clears throat> within a particular municipality, we are also flagging the fact that they do not specifically take steps to assess those issues pertaining to the revenue recoverability, as well as the accuracy of the amounts that they raise on their invoices. So it speaks to two things. One, the rigor of the financial management disciplines internally, but also the other factor is about the broader economic uh, situation, which results in people not being able to pay that which is due by them. So I thought let's anchor that point there so that at least as we speak about the rest of the items, we also have an appreciation of the difficulties that have now uh, confronted a lot of these municipalities on, on revenue recovery. <coughs> the financial and that's the point also that is internally too, but also the, the statement in our title which speaks about not much situation uh, to go around. People not being able but also on the revenue side, the other source of revenue is the so equitable share that gets there, allocated so that to local government about together with the, the conditional grants. Also have an Many of these will find expression in the different uh, portfolio committees when they engage 
the different uh, institutions about matters of adherence to conditional grants. And I think that is important to note <coughs> that the fiscal does not have much more than what it has addition out to local government in the form of As you can see, the consolidated figure for the 18-19 year was about 55 billion, as well as 42 billion for conditional grants. Many of these conditional grants, among others, as we reflect in these financial statements, have not always been used for the infrastructure projects that they were allocated for. Because of the financial squeeze that many municipalities encounter, because of the lack of proper financial management disciplines in some of them, you will see in some municipalities, as we have noted in the general report, they tend to use this conditional grant also to finance their own operational activities. You would expect this when they because if out of the 226 billion they can only be comfortable to collect about 90, say about yeah, which is about 40 percent of the total, then they will largely dip into the likes of your conditional grants. But in their financial statements, if you read them superficially, you will find that they all claim to have complied with the conditions associated with the conditional management, which is not the case. But the audit report and the audit findings do reflect that situation for those that have not met the conditions for which the conditional grants were granted. Now, what does this do? What it does, Chair, is that those infrastructure projects that were identified and were being funded through this conditional grants never see the light of day. Because this cash goes straight into operational expenditure to pay for other costs related either to employment or other activities. But then the environment in the municipality stays without those infrastructure assets that we needed for quite some time. And then, Chair, once we have now dealt with the area of revenue, we then look at the key areas of expenditure. Clearly, the salaries and wages, which includes the Generation of councillors at a consolidated level is just around about 90 billion in total. <clears throat> so you can imagine if you take the 91, which is the 91 billion of employment costs, and you take it out from the co combination of equitable grants and let's say conditional grants, which is a figure close enough to what the salaries and wages is. So what it actually means is that whatever you get. In, at a total level as municipalities from both equitable share as well as conditional grants, that full amount of about 98 billion is available largely to cover for people in employment, which means the bulk of the revenue that you have, which is going to be used for paying for bulk purchases, because the bulk of that revenue of the 40% of 226 will go towards paying for bulk services that you buy. Because the money that you raise there, you ought to pay for the big suppliers like water, like electricity, and many, many others. So just by doing the sums, Chair, you could see that there's very little really that's available to spend in local government. Particularly when you then have to take into account the fact that there are many instances of fruitless and wasteful expenditure, which in terms of this report are around about $2 billion. But as well as unauthorized expenditure, which is expenditure over and above those costs that were identified at planning stage, but now they have been exceeded. 
let alone the fact that the revenue generated has even been lowered. So we're talking about a huge strain and a huge pressure that is not going to abate if we take into account that we are still to audit the 2020 financial year, including there, there will be impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the lowering revenues that have now become our living reality in local government. But the bigger part of the whole conversation as we were looking at the financial statements chair, we identified on the many balance sheets of these municipalities. And I think these are some of the issues that members of the committees uh, gathered uh, in this engagement could also take away. That bullet that speaks to the value of infrastructure assets. Uh, these infrastructure assets, if you look at them just across the board, as they are reflected in the balance sheets of each of the municipalities across all nine provinces, come to a total of close to 320 billion. That is the value sitting on the balance sheets of each of these municipalities. Now, besides the fact that they are not adequately maintained, if you look at the percentage of maintenance expenditure, according to the guidelines that they normally get from National Treasury for planning purposes, all of them are required to put aside somewhere around 8% of their total infrastructure assets for maintenance. But the only amount spent in the current period was about 8.5 billion, which is nowhere near 8%. It's probably somewhere about 2.5, 2.8 thereabouts. So there's a significant gap between what the budgeted maintenance expenditure ought to be versus what gets spent towards maintenance. And this is important, Chair, for things like the water losses that we have identified in the infrastructure, the electricity losses, and many, many other uh, losses that <clears throat> have been identified because of the uh, deteriorating infrastructure. But besides that part of the maintenance, if one looks at this, Chair, the 300-odd billion of assets, the question we often ask ourselves is once the financial statements have been completed, once the financial statements have been signed, <clears throat> whether qualified or not, what sort of operational plans are being put in place to make sure that these infrastructure assets are being utilized? Utilized in the sense that they would be your type of assets that generate the delivery of services, and they will be the type of assets that also generate employment activity in certain municipalities if they were proactively managed. And we just want to flag this, Chair, so that whenever financial statements are produced, those that produce them know that someone afterwards will ask for the list of these assets so that a proper condition assessment as well as an appraisal proactively of the utilization of these assets can be part of what councils manage. In this instance, it happens very erratically. In some municipalities, they would discover some breakdown in these assets, which impact on the likes of the delivery of water. Many, many months after the breakdown of that valve has been brought to their attention. And also, we've noted in certain places that <clears throat> it sometimes takes months and months before those spare items are brought in to fix whatever has been broken in the infrastructure assets. Now we think that a proactive engagement with these assets which require them to be proactively maintained will avoid a situation that we faced when we dealt with 
similar circumstances within an ESCOM environment. So, Chair, as far as the financial analysis is concerned, those are some of the very pertinent issues that we picked up in the accounts of local government. And of course, to close it out, as far as the net result is concerned, after all the expenditures had been uh, uh, accounted for, we ended up with a number of municipalities that had already spent more than the revenue that they generated. All of them at a consolidated level of about 6.29 billion <clears throat> is the total excess of expenditure to the revenue that has been generated in the books. But the other troubling part of these accounts, when one looks at the discipline of working capital management, being the ability to manage the money that comes in versus the ability to pay the people that extend credit to you in order to carry on your activities. And those are the creditors, Chair. Many of them have endured a situation where it takes on average somewhere around 180 days for many of these creditors to be paid, despite the fact that there's a rule about them being paid within 30 days. <clears throat> Evidence of this is also so seen in these financial statements when you look at the total outstanding balance of creditors sitting at about 53.5 billion with cash available at year end at around 43.2 billion. Let me illustrate this with a specific example in the report. If you look at the Eastern Cape part of the report, we comment in this in that part of the report about the Dr. Bayas Nordier municipality, which was granted money for drought relief to the extent of about 30 million rands. And in terms of their accounting activity for the 18-19 year, they were able to account for expenditure of about five of that 30 million in that year. Meaning that having received the 30 million cash and having spent five, we would have expected in the bank something around 25, barring ignoring everything else. But it was one of those examples where we found that the cash available in the bank was so limited to even explain where the 25 million was. It is possible that these are some of the monies that get paid for past expenditures when future allocations are made for activities into the future. And I think part of all of this then comes back Chair, to <clears throat> the very point that we make that the hands at the till are not the right ones because the level of accounting, the level of transparent reporting on these financial statements is to the greatest extent found to be wanting and that's why many of these municipalities have then been qualified that's why many of them have been disclaimed and i say this because i'm now on page three of the slide uh, presentation <clears throat> which speaks to the timeline over the last three years in respect of these audit outcomes uh, uh, page three, please, the slide that shows the three-year profile of the audit outcomes. Uh, if you look at the year 2016-2017 up to the year 2018, Jan, I'm on a different slide to this one. I'm on the slide that speaks to the three-year analysis, please. It's slide two. The slide that speaks to the three-year analysis, Jan. So this is the picture of the three years overall since this current administration of local government has been in office. And we basically are saying that uh, nothing really 
of significance has moved in the positive direction. It was uh, looking a little better at the beginning of their term in 2016-17, but certainly the regression over the period is what we have experienced with only about 8% of the audits having been signed off without any qualification, without any findings. While also the number of municipalities that had already crept the part in respect of the financial management, which is the unqualified accounts, the yellow bar, that has also started shrinking, and we are starting to see a growing number of those that are disclaimed as well as the ones that are qualified. Many of them, the elements of the qualification revolve around the matters I spoke to in that slide of the consolidated finances. But another emerging trend in terms of these accounts, Chair, is the non-submitters, or the ones that never come for close scrutiny <clears throat> at the time when the accounts are required to be submitted for audit. Some are busy trying the effort of the uh, consultants to assist them. Some of them are not even sure whether they should submit because the stuff that they are doing now is even worse than what they performed before. And some of them have subsequently submitted, but also you realize that even after they had had all this extended time, their accounts are no better than they would have been had they submitted on the due date. Um, that's really the picture as far as that overall three-year analysis is concerned. So this is the third year that the current administration of local government is in office, and this is the picture that looks like in terms of where they took off at the beginning of their current term. And if you look at the whole picture in terms of the South African landscape on the South African map, you will note also, Chair, that when we analyze these accounts down to each of the districts in each of the nine provinces, we normally just, uh, in terms of these accounts, end up with uh, only two provinces, being the Western Cape and Gauteng largely, that have really signed up and produced a set of accounts that auditors were generally happy with. As evidenced in the Western Cape, this trend has been around for at least the better part of the last five or so years. And I think it is clear that a concerted effort was put into that province as we had experienced it, led at the provincial level by the provincial leadership, the local government leadership. And I think I can safely say that this is not a fluke achievement insofar as those audit outcomes are concerned. They are a trend over a number of years that many of us participated in as they were turning around a number of these municipalities. Mm -hmm. It is worth noting also that uh, there are still flashes of inappropriate activity even in that province, the Western Cape. If you look closely <clears throat> at the district uh, in the Klein Karu, as well as some of the emerging trends in the Southern Cape uh, region. So while much as we uh, applaud the consistent achievement, we also want to take stock of some of the emerging trends and some of the historical weaknesses in those that had been qualified in the two districts that I've raised. Gauteng, <clears throat> many of them, including the bulk of the municipalities, were largely unqualified, which means that the financial statements were found to be credible. But there are a number of uh, metros and municipalities in the Gauteng province who have also not complied with the minimum requirements for the likes of supply chain 
then we 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 flagged findings as you would have seen also in places like the city of Tuane, the city of Johannesburg, and a number of others in the West Rand where some deficiencies in internal control were identified. So what you are saying about Gauteng is that much as they may be unqualified insofar as the ability to account for the transactions is concerned, but the matters pertaining to compliance with the likes of your reporting disciplines on supply chain, on adherence to supply chain prescripts and others, they are still pretty much the, the issues that you find in the Houghton province. Then the rest of the other seven provinces, Chair, as you can see on the screen, they become a combination of the purple and the, and the red, you know, and the blue, and some unqualified with findings audits. But I think the story to be told with regards to these seven provinces is where the bulk of the major financial management challenges are found. If you look at the number of municipalities by province that are qualified, the number of municipalities by province that are disclaimed, as well as those that have got adverse opinions. They pretty much sit in each one of these provinces and you'll see them much clearer when you take a deep dive into the different districts because all of these accounts, we have put them into a feature that shows how each of the districts, for example, in the Eastern Cape, which is the next slide. If you look at the Eastern Cape slide, you will see that uh, the analysis of the total outcomes of the Eastern Cape now get broken down <clears throat> into the different districts. And in the different districts, if you look at the report, Chair, we do make a commentary on our overall findings with regards to each district. Let's, for example, take uh, our Tambo district. You will see that in this district, there are about four municipalities that are qualified. One that is a disclaimer, and one that is an unqualified uh, finding with, uh, uh, yeah, with, with findings, which is Nyandini being the only one. The rest of them are qualified, and uh, Inosa Hill still is one that is disclaimed. In the report, you will find that we talk at some length about some of our observations, for example, at King Sabata Dalinjebo municipality, where we go deeper now into the stuff that we identified in the financial statements that we felt needed to be the matter that is reported in the report. But we also report a lot on the Over Tambo district. So when we saw the stuff that we saw recently on Over Tambo and the type of transactions that were being bandied about in the public domain, we were not surprised because our experience as well as what we wrote in the report was largely a reflection of these many years of reporting of deviations and departure from the disciplines of financial management. <clears throat> and that's how the report is laid out in respect to the detail, Chair, which I thought you probably will need a month of Sundays for us to go through each one of the municipalities. But just for your own uh, prep, if you look at each of the provinces, each district has been highlighted at length with respect to the key things that were found <clears throat> by municipality in certain cases, as well as in certain cases we will comment on the, on the district in total. Just a few observations around the one on the Eastern Cape. Um, as we had undertaken, we wanted to take you to a level of depth in, in, in respect to some of these uh, municipalities. For example, when we looked at the Eastern Cape, as you would appreciate from many of these districts in the province, where we made observations about issues of instability 
in key positions where uh, accounting officers or chief financial officers move around a lot with numbers of vacancies and instability in key positions, resulting in a lack of preventative controls being pursued rigorously. So where there are frequent changes in the people that are assigned these tasks, either at senior management or at other levels, things tend to fall apart and those that pick things up, they never follow through with the likes of compliance with legislation and all that. We've also noted that uh, with all of these witnesses in the province of the Eastern Cape, among others, there's a general uh, tolerance for a lot of the transgressions that have been identified historically, uh, transgressions that are continuing to be identified even in the present moment. And I guess also that issue of a general tolerance for transgressions comes with an ongoing culture of uh, poor performance and inadequate consequence management. So these are some of the key observations, Chair, that we find to be characteristic of a number of these municipalities, even though the specific items on their financial statements that cause them audit failure will vary from one municipality to another. Just closer to some specific municipalities in terms of this province, Chair, in the Amatore district, for example, we uh, a number of municipalities in that particular district, uh, Amatole, would require some intervention in terms of, you know, their financial sustainability. We've already seen this in Amatole itself, as well as some of the municipalities within the Amatole district. Even after the 2018-19 year, so some of them have already made approaches to National Treasury for additional funding because of inability to continue to pay for their salaries, among other things. So the report flags that we have a concern with regards to the financial health of about 71% of municipalities in the Amatore district. And those are some of the flags that we feel need to be raised so that as we progress forward and think about what ought to happen in that province, we must actually know that some of the key issues in places like Amatore district relate to the fact that they really do not have sufficient resources to spread around. And then in Tambo, it's one that leads with being the highest contributor to irregular expenditure, uh, where it has picked up huge levels of irregular expenditure, as I said, uh, Tambo, a practice that has not been discouraged, a practice that was largely tolerated uh, regardless of the supply chain rules that apply to procurement of goods and services. And you will note that a lot of the transgressions that we flag within the Tambo district are mainly related to water and sanitation infrastructure. And I think evidence of that is becoming more and more prominent. I think many would have remembered the activities around the Butterworth municipalities just before the COVID process, but also there are many others that still battle with water and sanitation infrastructure because the municipalities within that uh, district would also largely rely on our tambo for the delivery of some of that particular infrastructure. And so, Chair, that's the key reflections if one wanted to pick up specific matters around uh, 
the Eastern Cape, and as I say, some of them will be found in the detailed report of that municipality as well as in their financial statements. And if one looks at the first state again, the first state will also be a province that has got its own unique features in respect to how it ended up with almost all of those municipalities being qualified, disclaimed, or not submitting. And we've characterized this particular province share with quite a number of observations also pertaining to some of the municipalities, part of which is found in places like Metsumahulu. In places like Metsumahulu, Chair, we note some of the issues here being the poor tone at the top. You will recall when we fleshed out the audit outcomes of the previous year, we raised matters pertaining to the expenditure of the municipal infrastructure grant, uh, for example, for the construction of an Orangeville sports complex. I hope the person with the slide presentation is still awake. I'm doing first aid now. Um, <clears throat> MIG funding in that particular municipality in Metsumahulu was in the region of about 21 million, for example, which were raised as a finding because we saw expenditure, but we did not see the associate asset against which that expenditure was made. So when we say this matter was was, was 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 not treated properly, this matter was flagged and raised with the Municipal Public Accounts Committee. Uh, the Municipal Public Accounts Committee, uh, when we followed up, says they did go through and investigate the matter. However, there's no action that was taken to recover the expenditure that was made when there was no real evidence of an asset that was built on the budget that was set aside for that particular community uh, project. We flag matters also around the Amaluti Apofum local municipality, which have become notorious now for non-submission of their financial statements. However, we do flag the fact that there were major problems with regards to the delivery of water in that particular municipality in the first state. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the key matter of observation. I spoke to the Gauteng province, and, uh, and and I think some of the observations in the Gauteng province will will also uh, lead you to note that this is one of the municipalities in the country that have got large electricity losses, uh, large water uh, losses arising from uh, lack of asset management and asset man maintenance, sorry, but also as a result of illegal connections. In certain cases, there are many illegal connections that uh, contribute to the big amounts of uh, water and electricity losses. Uh, as I said, Gauteng, uh, in terms of its financial management discipline, it still pushes strongly as far as that concerned, only if it were to deal with some of those issues that come from non-compliance with supply chain. And I guess, Chair, what is an important lesson when we look at Kauteng here is that many people will want to leave things at uh, unqualified. If something is unqualified, then they think that it is complete. But it is when you look closer, closer to some of these municipalities that you realize that qualification alone is not really the full answer. The full answer is when you have, quali is when you have got unqualified accounts, but also you need to make sure that when you issue contracts, you issue them in a transparent manner, and you also make sure that you do not handle supply chain management as if there were no rules that govern it.
And I think that's what Gauteng uh, is, is, is flashing at us, that uh, if the accounts are uh, accurate in terms of the public financial management system, that's not the end goal. The end goal must also cover the stuff that happens outside of the general ledger. Kwasu <clears throat> Natal, as a province, has also got quite a number of uh, municipalities over the period that have regressed. And uh, perhaps I've just f- forgotten to mention in Gauteng that the only clean audit there is Midval. It has been in that situation chair for quite a number of years. Our teams have shared some of the observations they have made with regards to why they think that the Midval clean audit is sustainable. And they've given us assurance that uh, there's evidence of progress being made when projects are being implemented or introduced in that municipality. And those projects, when they get implemented, they also tend to be supported by a state of financial management and controls that are reliable, that are explainable, and that leadership often demonstrates that they themselves as leaders of that particular municipality are on top of what they are doing in respect of the progress on projects and financial management. And then in KwaZulu-Natal, again, we've got quite a big number of municipalities that are qualified, quite a few that have got unqualified uh, financial statements with findings on on, on a basis similar almost to the unqualified audits of Kauten, but also one that has also been clean, and that's Okatlamba in the Drakensberg. And the example that Okatlamba in the Drakensberg has, 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 has fleshed out at us is the embedded systems of internal control that they continue to, to, to embrace, as well as those controls that they continue to, 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 to invest in, knowing that as an area that attracts many people for tourism, <clears throat> part of the infrastructure that they have in the town is what supports their objectives. And of course, the majority of the districts in KZN, if you look at <clears throat> the likes of uh, Amajuba, Utugela, Ugu, uh, and many other, Mkanyagude, Zululand, Mzinyati, all of them have actually come forth with uh, financial management disciplines chair that have been found wanting in a number of respects, either within municipalities under those districts or in the districts themselves, because the districts tend to take on the responsibility of uh, delivery of water, which is largely outsourced to water tanker services. Uh, and that's where some of the deficiencies in financial management are found in respect of many of the uh, districts within the uh, KZN uh, province. <clears throat> and then if one looks closely at some of the municipalities like Msunduzi, you will you will note here that these are some of the examples where the revenue management uh, problems have largely caused them to attract a qualification. And this would, for example, be an instance chair where their sub-system, which is the system that uh, helps them with the revenue generation. It fell apart and they had to do a lot of fixes in that information technology accounting system. But by the time the audit had to be finalized, they had made little improvements. And therefore, there was a lot of revenue that was sitting on their books that they could not properly account for. And that's what we meant when we said that the ability to account for and be able to put your finger to 
the revenue that you've written in your books is one of the key important issues. And I think Musundus is one of those that exemplifies what happened when <clears throat> revenue uh, uh, management did not uh, accord with the minimum required standards. We still are experiencing rising levels of irregular expenditure in places like Etegwini uh, in the current year. As you will note that uh, Etegwini Metro was unqualified with uh, findings, and those findings are largely the rising levels of irregular expenditure. Many were uh, levels of expenditure associated with the contracts that were flagged in the previous year, and some of them continued uh, in the current year. <clears throat> in the Limpopo uh, province, again, uh, showing us a set of outcomes, Chair, that are reflective of a state of financial management that is not at the level expected, with quite a number of qualifications in this province. We just need to just highlight one thing in the Limpopo province, that there was a big effort that came with a huge investment on the services of external service providers to come and assist the municipalities with financial management and stuff like that. Their successes in terms of this were to the extent that they were able to get some of their municipalities from a disclaimer to a qualification. Now, the point that we're flagging is that the investment that went into these external service providers was huge in relation to what was achieved. And therefore, uh, the province has spent money, but it has not yet achieved the desired uh, audit outcomes if you look at the fact that despite the expenditure, an example of this, for example, will be at Elias Mutsualedi. Uh, Elias Mutsualedi spent about 11 million and uh, the Mopani district spent about 34 million in areas where they required support from external service providers. But the major witnesses chair remained when it comes to the management of conditional grants for water relief uh, during the drought period. And I think the most municipalities in Limbabwe are known for the challenges that they experience with regards to matters of water. However, the adherence and the discipline with regards to management of conditional grants, among others, has been a prominent feature in places like uh, Mopari district. Let alone <clears throat> the elements of irregular expenditure arising from procurement uh, of goods and services was found to be widespread in a number of these municipalities. In the so those will be the sum of the highlights and the flags that you will find in the detail of the general report, uh, which shows that <clears throat> having looked at the detailed financial statements, we actually saw much more than what we had been able to reflect on and report on uh, in the past. And in Pumaranga, yeah, I think we are painting a picture here of a province, uh, even though it has got limited number of districts, as you can see, it's got only three districts, but with a number of municipalities that are not really buying into the disciplines of financial control. Yeah, we've characterized these financial controls largely in the municipalities in Bumalanga as very chaotic. Uh, chaotic in the sense that a lot of the local municipalities under the two districts of Ngangala and Herzibande are either qualified or disclaimed, despite the fact that Herzibande and Ngangala themselves as districts are clean. 
Now, for example, in the Khertsibande district, we are saying here that uh, despite the fact that Khertsibande reached out to Dipalising uh, municipality, the level of internal control weaknesses in Dipalising were so deep that it could not even be supported by its district uh, municipality, in essence. Uh, for example, in Ligua, which is also under Hertzbande, we experienced fundamental breakdowns and significant vacancies and uh, lack of basic bank account and other critical control uh, account reconciliations. It's, it's that bad in, 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 in municipalities like Ligua and also in municipalities like Victor Kanye in Kangala. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's one of the municipalities, for example, where we experienced so complete a breakdown in controls uh, to the extent that uh, for half of the year, for example, Victor Kanye transacted directly through the bank account without recording the transactions in its accounting system. Just that, that's a very huge exposure of the financial system to any payment that anyone could make without being found or detected at an appropriate time. So these are some of the key elements of what we have flagged in our report, Chair. We speak here in the report about the likes of Emma Kazi in the municipality, which has got similar conditions when it comes to the internal control environment as Victor Kanye. But also, Chair, one of the things that you will note within the Mpumalanga province is that there's no shortage of the widespread use of consultants by all these municipalities. Uh, for example, <clears throat> when you go to a municipality, the auditors tell us, in terms of many of these municipalities, that when they require to get queries arising from the audit to be addressed by the finance department, uh, they are largely referred to the consultants that did the books. Now, Chair, the accountability for the transactions and the financial management of any institution does not lie with the third-party service provider that helped you put the books together. Whatever it is that they did the books, you still have to explain these transactions as the management of the entity yourselves, rather than abdicating that responsibility for accountability to your external service providers. So, Chair, I think it's a matter that we believe is quite serious when one looks at some of the municipalities that have chosen to do this. You will find examples of this in places like Mbomalanga. You'll find examples of it in the Northern Cape as well, where in many of these municipalities, they would <clears throat> rather get the consultant to speak to you as the auditor, when in fact they are the ones who are the custodians or the ones finally accountable for the finances of this institution. So the accounts from Mbomalanga, despite all the expenditure they've made, with regards to external service providers, are still looking dismal and uh, have really shown how these exposures could lead municipalities to a huge financial health risk if proper controls are not put in place. And then the Northern Cape, uh, Chair, again, is also a mixed bag of all the historical promises that were made to fix the accounting system have not seen the light of day. And we note that uh, in the Northern Cape, for example, uh, a few breakdowns in controls have also been identified.
but we also note the effort that has been put in by the John Daulo Haitsiwe municipality uh, or district. That is the only one, unfortunately, that is uh, clean in this province. Previously, it was ZF Mtau, but ZF Mtau fell short of one of the compliance issues in respect to supply chain, but still remained unqualified. But for the major part of the province, you will have places like Khatelopile municipality that has had a breakdown in controls and uh, tried many times to get their consultants to reconstruct their accounts. And guess what? These accounts were meant to be reconstructed, but the underlying records were found to be unreliable. So, Chair, in an example like Khatelopile, for example, when you look at the books, you kind of realize that these books have actually been just force balanced in certain places because the transactions that we looked at did not make sense with regards to what has happened logically in that municipality. And that uh, chair is painted as a, as a consistent picture in a number of other areas like Hamahara and Chomorolong uh, municipality in, in this province. So the picture of the Northern Cape, if one looks at it, chair, is not that different from what you see in Bumalanga in respect of these accounts. And I think the Northwest is probably, you know, the one that takes the, the trophy with regards to the extent of the qualifications as well as the disclaimed opinions. Uh, because here in the, in the Northern Cape, again, the levels of expenditure for, in, uh, rather in the Northwest, the levels of expenditure towards external service providers have been huge. The, the levels of weaknesses and the outcomes uh, in places like uh, Dr. Ruth uh, Mombati district, the issues pertaining to the breakdown in asset management in municipalities like Likwa Tiamani are matters that have been reported in the past and continue to be the major uh, challenges that confront <coughs> municipalities in this province. Uh, you go to municipalities like Mamusa, where you see that this municipality has had 11, 11, 11, one, one, 11 consecutive disclaimers, which means that for all these 11 years that have been audited, there's really been no proper record keeping. There's been no consequence for it. You know, the records are stacked along walls in the different offices when staff go into this municipality without any hope of ever finding a document that will substantiate what happens to the documents. But successive teams of consultants every year are being used, as well as being brought in to try and explain the transactions that were carried out by management. Now, Chair, that is one staring, an example staring us in the face, saying that for 11 years, you really never really came forth with transparent systems, but you continue to pay consultants to achieve exactly the same result, and there's really no consequence for it. And I think that's one example that we extract if one looks at uh, at Mamusa. Unfortunately, this time around, it has been outstanding at the time that we concluded the audit. That's why it's sitting with the blue, but there's been 11 consecutive disclaimers up to this particular point. Major weaknesses in the Bujanala district uh, with progressive weaknesses and in internal controls have also led them at some point to inability to pay salaries because with all the cumulative 
weaknesses in financial controls. You get to a point, Chair, where the financial health risk becomes so prominent that you can't ignore it. And very few institutions can ignore the fact that they are not able to pay the salaries of the following month. Sometimes it's because the cash reserves have been declining over the years and no specific steps were taken to try and arrest that situation. And that's what you find in districts like Bojanala. And if you hop across to Mahikeng, and you see that uh, this municipality in Mahikeng is largely dependent on uh, on grants and equitable share. And the bulk of that grants and equitable share share is normally towards payment of employment costs because almost close to 80% of what has been billed as revenue is largely uncollectable. So they are huge write-off of consumer debt and uh, and huge amounts of money owing to bulk suppliers, for example, water. And these are some of the key impact of the financial control disciplines that have not been holding on, that, that uh, the kind of things that they have resulted in in, in, in a place like uh, Mahikeng. <clears throat> And then lastly, on the, on the Northwest chair, Matotsana, again, significant problems in debt collection, as well as an increasing uh, dependency on conditional grants for paying uh, operational expenses, including salaries. So these financial management deficiencies that indicate that the right hands are not at the till <clears throat> are also contributing factors to a major financial health risk that will make these municipalities not to be able to pay for the things that they ought to pay for as they fall due. <clears throat> and lastly, in the Western Cape, I've already spoken at length about this one province together with Kauteng at the beginning. And I think that uh, it's probably the one picture that probably gives you a lot more green than you have seen before <clears throat> in respect to the different districts within this uh, province, but we have flagged what happens in the Central Karoo as well as in the Garden Root uh, district in terms of the emerging risks in those two areas. But also I think it's worth noting that there have been significant areas of strength in terms of the capacity, the rigor and the follow-through in terms of adherence to the systems of control as we notice them in the Western Cape. The places where you see much of the strength will be the Cape Winelands, Overbeck, and the West Coast uh, districts of, of, of that province. Not taking away anything from others, but I think it's important to flag the fact that it's not uh, reached the pinnacle. There are others that are still battling with those disciplines in places like the Central Karoo and so on. And that is the overall picture in respect to each of the provincial analysis chair. And our report this time around does go into some individual municipalities to give you a sense of where things are at. But we do want to reinforce the point that without the financial statements, when we even do our oversight work, it will probably not come close enough to the stuff that the councils ought to understand because they are the ones that produce is under their watch that the financial statements are produced and it is their representations that are carried in these financial statements 
that we are supposed to pronounce on in respect of the audit. And we so believe that chair, going forward, and perhaps as one of the key issues that we might want to suggest even to members of SCOPA, among others, that we need now to try and find a way where we can bring the matter of the specific financial statements into focus whenever oversight work is going to be done so that we don't speak about a conclusion of the audit that people can easily dismiss, but we can speak about the assets that you have in your balance sheet, which you have yourself pronounced on, then therefore there are certain questions that may need to be answered in respect to those assets and liabilities in conjunction with the audit conclusion that has been reached by the audit. <clears throat> and so moving on, Chair. Uh, I want to now deal with the issue of the implementation of the provisions of the amended Public Audit Act. And that is the matter pertaining to the material irregularity uh, process. You'll recall, Chair and members, uh, that when we got <clears throat> the nod with regards to going ahead with implementing the amendment that was made to Section 5 of the Public Audit Act, our desire was to advance the focus on the concept of material irregularities identified during the course of a statutory audit. Now, prior to the 1st of April, Chair, we really never had any need to drill down to certain specific transactions because the key preoccupation of the audit, and it still is, is to arrive at a conclusion on whether the financial statements are a fair presentation of the activities carried out uh, by the entity. But when we got an note for this uh, amendment to the Public Audit Act, <clears throat> we did decide that we are going to make a start. And in making the start, Chair, we identified in each of the nine provinces one municipality that we are going to use to apply these material irregularity provisions. And what they say to us, Chair, is that at any stage during the course of an audit, when we do an audit, of financial statements. We've got to also pay attention to the existence or the potential existence of material irregularities that may require to be given specific attention to by an accounting officer. And we've done that in the nine chair, and we've identified <clears throat> about six material irregularities as at the end of the cycle that we audited now at the end of November. And the process chair is a bit long in the sense that, firstly, it allows for the auditors to hand over in writing those matters that they have identified as material irregularities, known or potential, to the accounting officer, inviting the accounting officer to intend ten, uh, a response to the auditors with regards to whether they do indeed agree that this is a material irregularity. And if they do, what steps are they taking to try and recover the finances that have been lost on the back of that material irregularity? And the processes, Chair, are such that when the accounting officer responds and the accounting officer says, I have now put in place a sustainable control, or I have handed over the matter for further investigation, or I have taken steps to do whatever is necessary is part of the role of an accounting officer. It is at that point, Chair, that we determine whether there's any steps further to be taken on that matter. Let's say that they've given an answer and we're not 
happy with what answer they've given us. <clears throat> what it will mean is that over a period of time, after other processes have kicked in, that particular matter will find itself as a subject for a certificate of debt. And that follows after a series of steps have been undertaken. But where we are now with these municipalities, having reported with on them at the end of November, we are at a point where the accounting officers were still getting back to the audit teams to report on steps taken in respect of these identified material irregularities. But while we were at, we were at it, we went into lockdown. <clears throat> so the period has been extended. But I think the point that is important to make is that having done the pilot at the end of the 2019 on this line, for the 2020 year, the year that ended uh, last week, 30th of June, we are going to be auditing now this particular year in the next uh, three months. That, that audit for this year for local government is going to now uh, address material irregularities at about 57 different municipalities. That is an important uh, development uh, in the sense that we are now expanding the application of the uh, material irregularity provisions as well as the application of the amended Public Audit Act to even a greater population of municipalities. And the way we are doing this on a gradual basis is that there is a preparatory work that needs to be done with regards to sharpening the technical skills of our staff, with regards to sharpening the technical instruments that we use to interrogate financial statements at a deeper level. And I think that we are also measured in making sure that we do not roll it out right across in one shot and we find ourselves having problems with capacity to handlings. But gradually, as this particular amendment of the public debate <clears throat> find expression in larger entities, we're going to start seeing the real benefit of what will come with it. The same concept has been applied with regards to the national and provincial audits which are going to commence soon, where in the past we did this application, the amendments to about 16.16 oddities. We've now expanded the application to cover at least about 70% of the total budget allocated to departments and, 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 and provinces in the 2020 financial year. So you may see that this was just a pilot to test the application of the regulations, but what's coming for later this year's municipalities, which will be reported on at the end of the year, will be a much wider application, and I think we'll have bigger population and bigger numbers to contend with when it comes to the issue of the material irregularities. As I say, the last hurdle in terms of this chair was to, for us to put in place the instruments to us with issues of natural justice. When someone is confronted with a certificate of death, they're going to take legal steps. We don't want to find ourselves struggling to <clears throat> deal with the basic process issues, and we've got all those structures put in place already to make sure that we can dispense with those matters when we come across them come the end of the year as well as in 2021. So that's where we are with the amendment, Chair, because I thought it's important to just spend a bit of time on this because <clears throat> it's normally very easy when people know you've got an amended set of powers 
to try and focus on, so when are you putting these powers in place? We have, but we are doing it in a very responsible way so that we don't find ourselves having to deal with courts without dealing with the key issues that we need to deal with in terms of the accounts. And that's where the process is currently. And I must say, Chair, that we have made strides to accelerate the implementation. I think for many laws that have been amended, within 12 months of their amendment to already have put in place the application of the regulations and the implementation plans for that amendment is quite a huge uh, effort, especially audits that run across all nine provinces. <clears throat> and then, Chair, uh, I'm getting closer to the end in terms of this. I just wanted to deal with the preventative control slide. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> when we pronounced our audit outcomes last year, FMA, we did for an investment to be made in preventative controls. And these preventative controls are, in our view, Chair, the ultimate deterrent. Because if all of these municipalities and departments would be encouraged <coughs> to sign up to <coughs> to sign up to minimum preventative controls, whether they are in supply chain whether they are in the management of contract, whether it is the preventative controls around payment, around employee processes and payroll. You will see our report says certain municipalities pay too much for the type of services those people are rendering on a day-to-day basis. If we were to have proper preventative controls around assets and liability management, as well as under revenue management, just at a minimum, those six uh, cycles. <clears throat> and we insist that an accounting officer together with his or her senior team have got a suite of preventative controls that the MPEC have developed uh, preventative controls and all the oversight committees, including the COCTA committees and the public accounts committees, are also lined up with their own preventative controls as oversight around these municipalities. We could be making some significant progress around this area of financial management. On our side, we have already developed booklets, which we are finalizing for distribution to the key players in the system to say these are the types of preventative controls that we think we should have as a minimum in supply chain management. These are the types of contract management preventative controls. Which controls, when you submit your quarterly accounts, into your portfolio committee, for example, you ought to make a statement about as an accounting officer and say, I have put everything possible as required in terms of section 62 of the MO, in terms of section 38 of the PFNA. I have put in place all these necessary preventative controls in order to discourage or to minimize the potential for irregularities to minimize the potential for irregular expenditure, to minimize the potential for financial statements being produced by people who do not have the technical knowledge to do so. If that will be the orientation, Chair, you will find that the bulk of without proper explanation will diminish over time. And I think this is an investment that on our side we are prepared to make 
we've already done the first bit, and that is to institute a status of account these entities, but they haven't yet fully embraced it. But we believe that if we can have a partner even oversight where we say only you are going to escape a material irregularity arising in your accounts is when you have signed up on the controls that prevent it from happening. And I think it will now be in the hands of an accounting officer to make sure that their controls, their CFOs, their internal audit functions, and all of these other instruments of control are diligently supervised because if they are not, then it will result in material irregularities that could challenge for an accounting officer to answer to. And to ask, Chair, that is the other side of the carrot, if you like, <clears throat> that comes with the instrument of an amended public body debt. We say that amended public body debt doesn't go alone. It may be, but the carrot that it comes with is the preventative control. And anybody who signs up the job as a chief financial officer normally takes their certificate and say, I'm a chartered accountant with 10, 15 years experience. It gets preventative control, an instrument that is show us the value of your technical knowledge and experience by making sure that we do not have transactions in our that nobody can explain. Or we do not have transactions in our books that will lead to financial loss that will result in us having to pay the services of forensic computers and investigators and lawyers and also have disciplinary processes and litigation against people that said they have got preventative controls to prevent us from doing this route. <clears throat> so this preventative control dynamic chair resonates with us because we can save a lot through it, but we can also anticipate where the problems are going to be if we did not manage to catch all the problems that we might have been to deal with. <clears throat> and then the next slide is also to just demonstrate that we did do an assessment of <clears throat> where we believe these preventative controls work. And we found that as far as the first line of defense, <clears throat> which is the assurance by management and leadership, uh, senior managers, municipal managers, and mayors, we still have some major weaknesses in terms of their ability to do what is expected of them. The internal <clears throat> independent assurance and oversight is largely an assessment of how effective the likes of your internal audit and audit committees were found based on the assessment we did following on their commitments of previous years, <clears throat> as well as the external independent assurance and oversight, which is largely exercised by councils, the MPECs, as well as the portfolio committees on local council. So really just our <clears throat> assessment of how effective we found those particular uh, structures in responding to the whole area of preventative controls. And we believe that a lot more work still needs to be done to strengthen that uh, hand of leadership. And I think that's the overall key the message that you see resonating within all of these provinces to say that the leadership 
role that needs to be played. Firstly, at the internal management side of things, but also at the level of oversight requires to be further focused on and enhanced. Uh, Chair, I think this is, if not the second last, it's probably the <clears throat> it's probably the last slide, I think, that I wanted to talk to with regards to the uh, totality of the 2018-2019 audit outcomes and the observations that we have made, Chair, in respect to these outcomes. And also the fact that uh, I think as a, as, as a last point for me, there's no doubt a need for a partner, partnering arrangement to emerge when we have to, if we are to push through all these areas of local government. I think our report has highlighted key areas that require specific attention. Among those is the work that has been done by consultants, among others, but also the internal disciplines within these municipalities. We've also put them on the spotlight in our report, Chair. Chair, that's the long and short of the, the feedback on the MFMA uh, audit outcomes. I'm in a bit of a vulnerable position here. I'm not too sure if my voice is landing on any ears, but uh, Chair, I'm returning back to you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, uh, AG. Uh, thanks for this uh, very extensive uh, report, uh, which uh, I think the members uh, would have uh, questions on. It's clear that in terms of the detail that you have given, there are a number of things that need to be followed by various uh, uh, committees as they are charged with the responsibility of digging deeper into a number of uh, other things uh, that we rely upon uh, in terms of the uh, audit process. Uh, for us, we appreciate uh, the report and uh, clearly uh, three broad issues um, as such that uh, the revenue of municipalities is uh, shrinking. The inability uh, to collect uh, is glaring, and the actual measure of uh, controls and accountability is one of the issues that ought to be worrying us. But further, those municipalities that fail to account even uh, to have the uh, audit um, uh, to continue in terms of their own expenditure and their own financials. So, so uh, thank you very much, uh, AG. I'm giving over to the members. Um, Honorable Shangwa, are you still there? Honorable Shangwa, are you still there? Um, yes, uh, Chairperson, I am, and I've been following the, 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 the proceedings, but we'll defer to members, it's fine. Thank you, Chair. That's right. Uh, I could see it. someone looks like a Honorable Mutambi. Yeah, it looks like she's there. She's been listening as well. Honorable member, it's your time. It's your take. To raise your hands. I could see Honorable Baker Debe. It's one of those who are going to speak, followed by Honorable Falskalvik. Uh, Honourable Singh, Honourable Begha Debe, um, Honourable 
from Skalvik. Is there any other one? Yes, I don't have it on my on my on my screen, so I would like to speak. Thank you, Chair. Is that honorable speech? Is that yes, that's me. Okay. Yes, right. the fifth one. Chair, can my, you take my gadget huh? My gadget too. Doesn't okay. allow me to do that. Okay, Honorable Mutambu will be the last one in this round. Uh, we might uh, that's the second round. Honorable Singh. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, and uh, I greet all the other colleagues and chairpersons, and uh, thank the Auditor General for the presentation that was made. Uh, chairperson, I think uh, our role as COEC, I'm very glad that we've invited the chairpersons and members of other portfolio committees to join us. I can see how depressed the chairperson of COPTA looks and SCOPA and other members. And uh, we also, chairperson, extremely depressed, but our role as COEC is to support the Office of the Auditor General in any way possible to ensure that there's consequent management, there's good financial accountability. Now, having said that, Chairperson, I mean, the Auditor General has, uh, has, has delivered what is called a stark reality. But in real terms, the situation must be 10 times starker than what he has presented. Because the Office of the Auditor General does just a sample auditing. And if you have to go deeper into these matters, I'm sure, you know, there's more rot uh, down there in terms of financial management of municipalities. But having said that, Chairperson, what I believe it requires is an urgent national imperative. The Auditor General comes after the fact, ex post facto, right? Where is the Office of the Accountant General? Where is COPTA? Where is National Treasury? In ensuring that before all these problems happen, the people that are at the head of these uh, local governments are properly trained to do the job. And you know, the Auditor General says it's not the right hands at the till. There are so many hands going into that till. There's enough money, but too many people are stealing. And Jefferson, we need this kind of interaction that we've had today to continue with all of us in a national imperative to stamp out corruption and ensure good financial management, uh, not only at local government, but in the country. I don't want to ask any other specific questions, but uh, just to say that as Co-Web Chair, you've always been there to support the AG's office to do what they uh, need to do. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Singh. Honorable Hadebe. No, thanks, um, Honourable Chair. Uh, um, Honourable Singh has covered what I wanted to, to say. But let me welcome, Chair, the, the, the detailed report. Um, uh, what I wanted to ask also, it's in relation to uh, these uh, several audit findings, especially the adverse disclaimer and outstanding. Even though the, the, the AG did highlight uh, the breakdown per provinces, but I, what I did not get exactly that out of these municipalities that previously obtained adverse disclaimer and outstanding uh, uh, audit findings, how many of those uh, still obtain the same? And how many of those have improved? Because you only reflected on the year under the review, those who uh, per province who obtained 
disclaimer adverse, but I did not get the sense in terms of comparison from previously uh, if there has been improvement so that we as Scopa and Cocta are able to focus and pay our attention in those that have not uh, improved. So if we can just get a, a summary and a sense of, of, of those. Thank you, Anara Okay, thank you. Sharon. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Yes, thank yeah, you very much. I want to uh, welcome the presentation that has been made and especially uh, value the narrative report that we are not privy to when we receive the, the uh, this presentation. So if in future we can have that broad narrative report as well that has been presented by the Auditor General, it would be appreciated. Chairperson, mine is also uh, the same as the previous uh, members. Safe to say that I'm very concerned in terms of the lack of, of uh, revenue generation and the uh, non-improvement thereof, and the, as well as the eight analysis of the outstanding uh, recoveries. And that leads me to the concern that it's very highly unlikely that outstanding revenue will be raised and in, 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 in most of the municipalities. But also, Chair, uh, just to, to, to highlight some of, of, of the issues without taking away from other members' inputs, I want to, to uh, request the, the, the Auditor General to explain to us what uh, is the, the view of, of, of the internal audit of the different municipalities on their roles and responsibilities, especially in terms of the regress, the municipalities and the repeat, uh, repeat offenders, because that's a great uh, deal of concern for me. Chair, let me not go further and give a chance to other members also to raise their concerns. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable uh, uh, Sharon. Um, the, the next one is Honorable Spears. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, I have three questions I would like to ask. The first uh, particular question that I want to raise is that as much as um, our committee um, is doing oversight and making sure that we support the AG, there are some concerns, and I think the benefit of having Cocta in our midst can assist us in this. Um, every time that we discuss or the outcomes, municipal outcomes are presented to us, I, one of the, the, the common matters that always comes up is the um, underspend in, of conditional grants. And I think there we need to really um, come in much more stronger from the municipality side. The role of the internal auditors within municipalities cannot be underplayed or undervalued. I cannot understand that municipalities once they get their allocation of conditional grants and equitable share, how they cannot have delivery plans in place and how those delivery plans are not monitored. I believe mid-year the internal order should have a report and those should be monitored. If not, conditional grants must be taken. But as I said, COCTA needs to actually um, um, pronounce themselves much stronger on that. 
Mine is on the assurance providers, which is a huge concern. Uh, I look at uh, impacts um, in municipalities. I believe impact cannot be a com- a committee of council that is just established. Impact needs to um, have much more muscle, um, and if not, we must then maybe review that because if impact does its work within municipalities, supported by all the other organs that's in that particular um, local authority, we can actually um, very early detect some of these things that we that must that are repeated every year when we deal with this particular matter. So I believe we need to make sure that that really, really happens. Um, then I want to ask oh, the, to the AG, we and the chair, we had a few municipalities that appeared in front of us that had um, a very, uh, you know, not, you know, negative outcomes. Do you feel that those engagements or interventions, um, what was the result of it? Um, you know, did anything come of it? Did, did that, uh, the order outcome um, change? Was there any progress? Um, I would like to know because if whatever the answer is, one needs to then obviously um, uh, expand on that or have a discussion on that particular matter. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honourable uh, Spice. Um, I think uh, the fifth one, Honourable Sengiwe. Uh, uh, Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, uh, greetings to all other Chairperson, including my Chairperson of COCTA, which is here in this meeting. <laughs> chairperson, uh, firstly, let me apologize for the National Chairperson, uh, Veronica Mente, here. She has to go to other meetings. Uh, chairperson, I agree with Honorable Singh when he says that this report, AG, is very traumatizing. And you can see the Chairperson of COCTA, she's traumatized already. Uh, I don't know if in your report, AG, you mentioned uh, the issue of that we had some, I don't know if it was cocktails or discussed under COCTA, but there was a made mention that out of 257 municipalities, only 20 municipalities that have get clean audits. So I didn't uh, get that in your report. I just want to confirm that because we're traumatized when we get that report, AG. On page 14, AG, as I also agreed with members that we need to give you support. Uh, On page 14, let us get a clarity when you said the list of 34% municipalities that had unauthorized expenditure. And if you can tell us in details, what did they commission? And as well as the issue of the division of revenue, because I think it might also be the issue here. The interventions that is required in Pumalanga, Eastern Cape, Free State, Northwest, and all other municipalities, what type of intervention AG? Because the report that we got at some point as COPTA is that even the national treasure, it's also trying to assist in terms of giving them those skills that they don't have. But it seems as if there is not helping so therefore, when you, op- when you open your presentation, you mention something about wasteful expenditure vis-a-vis corruption. I just want to get your view. When do you distinguish between the corruption that is taking place under the, uh, the pretense of wasteful expenditure and um, all other things? The issue of consultants, AG, and your slides is very clear to say that 
is not even helping us. 1.26 billion, that is also, I mean, wasted in terms of consultants. And then you talk about the processes um, when your the Amendment Act give you powers uh, in terms of the Audit Act. So I think that we should also get from you, AG, as you mentioned, that you are using those powers in terms of the Amendment Act, but you are using it responsible. So therefore, those powers, when are we going to see those powers fully used? Because it seems as if things are not getting improved. Instead, they are regressed as per your, 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 your presentation. And the last one, Chairperson, I just want to get from the AG. In your report, you also made mention of outstanding audits, for instance, Nelson Mandela. So if those municipalities, they still have outstanding audits that's supposed to take place and you concluded your, your report. So what is the way forward in terms of that outstanding report, outstanding audits? And I remember at one point, uh, you also have an outstanding audit in terms of municipalities whereby your office was chased away. So how do you also uh, uh, deal with such situation when your municipalities just chased you away, using Izengabi, using all sorts of things just to prevent you to do your work? So how do you report about this, such things? The last one, last one, last one that I think that members of the committee and also members that are here will agree with me. There is a great concern related to COVID-19. So what's your role as AG? Are you going to wait until your time to come and do your, your work or do you have an, other systems that talks to COVID-19? Because what you are experiencing now there's a lot of things that is happening during COVID-19. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Member. Momo Chambi. Yes. Thank you, colleagues. Good morning to the AG and all the other colleagues, uh, the Chairperson of SCOPA and Honorable Members. Indeed, this is a very depressing state of affairs. Uh, the colleagues from Scopa, then uh, I know they are equally taken aback with some of us based on the work that you are doing, because seemingly, as the OG, AG puts it, uh, there's just lack of uh, a consequence management on what is happening now. But then we are coming after the fact, all of us, I think the three committees need to sit prior to this meeting so that we devise a strategy on how best do we then assist to detect the problems before they become a problem. On our side, as the AGS said, tonight we are meeting with the OR Tambo District Municipality based on the media reports AGS have reported. I think we are going to hold the colleagues accountable to this. I think the only solution to this, now that the amended Public Audit Act has come to the picture, AG, I think it's high time those uh, accounting officers has to be issued with those certificates. That's the only way to go because you can see uh, they just, colleagues don't just want to comply. And it can happen under our watch, all of us colleagues, chairperson of uh, AG Standing Committee, chairperson of SCOPA, we really need to do something as these committees. If needs be, because on our side, uh, it's our commitment all uh, last year, 
through the leadership of the chairperson of SCOPA. You remember, we we, we invited those uh, defaulting uh, serial offenders municipalities. Yamamusa in the Northwest being one of them. I think the AG can also assist, as Honorable Mkalipi has said, to do a zoom in on those uh, serial offenders to see has the status quo improved or is still as it is? That will assist. And then what we'll normally do, colleagues, will also ask the AG to do that analysis per previous financial reports on those municipalities that the AG is raising of concern so that we are able to make a comparison. But we can assure you, colleagues, on our side, Escopa, if it means, uh, sorry, Escopta, if it means us spending sleepless nights calling these colleagues from municipalities to come and account, we are going to do that. Especially then, we'll develop a list, then we'll make sure that uh, they come and account. But being what we have said, we have developed a program as a committee. We're going to do that so that we we'll make sure all these municipalities that are found wanting, they must come and account to the public as well. Then there are critical questions, AG, that I also wanted to ask. Uh, with regard to this municipality that was merged in 2016. Uh, the first one will be, has the merger helped to improve the state of outcomes in those merged municipalities or the situation is worsened? Secondly, I want to check from you, AG, whether you've made an assessment of the reason why consequences are taking long to be effected. I think you can share this with us. Also, I, this is the question I always ask every uh, uh, aging. Uh, what is this that the Western Cape is doing differently such that they've maintained their standards? So that's the issues that one wants to also ask from you, AG. Thank you so much, Chairperson. But overall, the state of affairs really are very depressing. I really don't know what needs to be done. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Mutambi. Uh, colleagues, th those are the questions uh, for the first uh, round. Can I ask uh, the AG to comment on some of the areas? AG? Oh, thank you, Chair. <clears throat> I was still listening, Chair. I wanted more, but it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll speak. Um, I think, firstly, Chair, I would like to welcome the comments that the Honourable members are making and uh, to agree to a great extent with some of the observations that they make. Uh, one of the things that I just wanted to latch on in terms of the audit process <clears throat> is that uh, looked at in the year in which the audit is being reported, one can safely say yes it is a process that is looking at the view mirror. Transactions have happened, all sorts of things have already happened, but we are now reporting uh, almost a year later. But the reality of it is that also an audit, it being a statutory process that happens almost every year, is also a build up to things that might happen in the future. If things didn't change in the last four or five years in a particular municipality, and their Auditor General is reporting this year, we also ought to start saying, 
this is probably also a red flag that we are talking about arising from the past, which is likely to continue into the future. So there's that little bit of a window to the future that an audit provides, which we must also remember is a critical part of the oversight work that we do. Uh, because oftentimes people say, but this audit is about stuff in the past. We do sometimes detect that there are some people who feel we probably just need to ignore this thing that looks in the past. Well, it will look in the past because it's about expenditures. It's not about monies yet to be mined from a gold mine. So I think that part, I think, is, is, is quite important Chair, to reinforce. The, the, the point that uh, Honorable Singh makes about this being a national imperative, and I think the rest of the members are in agreement with that observation, insofar as it requiring a, a national effort. And perhaps I can just add something to this, Chair, that having been in the audit institution all the past uh, 13 years, I have happened to be part of the reporting cycles even when I was the deputy AG. There's some reality that we need to confront on all of these audit outcomes, Chair, as a country. And that is that uh, commentary and uh, reflection and disappointment have always been things that happen around the two, three days of the release of this report. And then people disappear back to the other stuff that they were doing uh, once the noise has died down once the commentary has disappeared from the papers, once the analysts have stopped analyzing the municipality audit outcomes. And for this thing to really assume its rightful place as a national imperative, uh, the key efforts that will make sure that the offenders of yesteryear are brought to account must be a permanent feature of the oversight activity, I think rather than waiting for another 12 months and hoping for the best when nothing was being systematically driven in the system to try and effect the change. Because this has almost entrenched itself over the years. People know that there will just be a highlight of the headlines, but within a few days, we will go back to, to normal. So I think that's probably one of the things that, <clears throat> from an oversight point of view, we could possibly start thinking about how do we make this become a permanent agenda? Not necessarily, it mustn't be permanent headlines, but it must be permanent agenda. Yeah. Everybody must know that there are people who regularly worry about why do we spend 1.26 billion on people who are running their own businesses, who are buying consulting services from our municipalities, but our municipalities, after spending that much money, end up with books that are no better than what they were before they spent this money. <clears throat> if that conversation, Chair, could translate itself, because you remember this consulting work as an example, we put a, a schedule in the report on which municipalities spend how much on how many service providers. <clears throat> and my sense is that if I were to exercise proper oversight over who provided services and for what and, and for what benefit, I would start thinking about it now at a provincial public accounts committee in collaboration, for example, with the MPEX and SALCA. 
and say, here's our six-month program to assess exactly what sort of support is this that we are paying so much money for. And I think inviting those service providers to come and explain and engage with us, because they should have nothing to worry about. They are running this particular service and their provision of accounting services for their own account. So they get paid naturally. So they shouldn't be shy to come and explain what is it that they are finding is leading to this situation, perhaps as a starting point, because the information is there now. So I think each provincial COCTA, for example, could begin to uh, engage with its own uh, public accounts committee in the province together with the MPEX and begin to find a mechanism to start with the service providers and say, let's work from there back into the institution because the accounting officers and the CFOs will also be invited to be at that engagement so that they can explain to the people in oversight at the level of the province why these 25 municipalities have to spend, let's say, an amount of 300 million in this province just for service providers. Can you explain to us what is it that you are being asked to come and do and what difficulty do you encounter with doing it? Despite the fact that we've already got people fully employed in the finance departments whose day-to-day job is to try and do exactly what you get invited to come and do on top of what they do. To me, Chair, that is what I think activist oversight would, would translate into rather than the disappointment, the low energy that comes when this report uh, assumes headlines uh, every year, which is going to be the case anyway, for as long as nobody has done something systematic to elevate uh, these controls. What could be the possible outcome of that? It could be that if the provincial uh, collaboration is brought together, it could be a, a discussion that ends up saying, Mopani, we understand your problems, but you've got no more than X amount to spend on external consultants this year. Let's see how you come out in terms of your financial statements. Because last year, you spent 34 million, you ended up with a lousy set of outcomes. This year, your expenditure on external service consultants shall not exceed whatever the amount we've prescribed. Then you will see the reality, Chair. You will have another 30 million rands sitting in the bank still. But Mopani would have spent, let's say, 4 million if that's what they are allowed to spend on external service providers, if it is seen as a necessity. To me, Chair, that's a preventative control. Rather than trying to figure out why you spent 34 million, which you will never get back if it was in excess of what ought to have been spent in the first place. And those are some of the things, Chair, that I think we need to start battling with if we're looking at finding sustainable solutions to this, because there must be pointed engagements at some of the major issues, because then an accounting officer will know that there are people who are worried about the decisions that we make where we invite external service providers, and they've got a statutory responsibility to put limits to this thing. If the appetite for the national pass for external service providers is 200 million for the year. One billion has been saved. It hasn't left the bank. We can almost say that it doesn't matter if we didn't spend it, but we still are focusing on the key things that are breaking down in financial statements. So I think I thought that that's probably one of the key things, which is an overriding comment that I think we can begin to think about and start working through at a provincial level, monitoring how each 
with all the oversight structures at the provincial level, how each municipality is implementing the plans, how is it working through the plans that have been agreed with it, to what extent is the NCOP working through the provinces as well to, together with the other structures and provinces to make sure that it exercises the required monitoring of the activity as it translates itself in this uh, local government financial uh, disciplines. To me, Chair, that would be a combination of key things that I believe as a priority ought to be embraced and looked at. Because comparative reports we will continue to release, we will continue to to respond to, please compare with for us how this thing looked three years ago. It's quite easy. I mean, that information is there. We can give it to you. But I think the point is, what's going to happen to it once we give it? That's to us the key thing that uh, is, is probably going to be the major uh, focus. What is going to happen to this analysis? If we break this thing down differently uh, into pie charts, instead of the other way of doing the analysis. What difference is it going to make when the accounts are presented at the end of the new financial year? And I think for me, that is probably what matters when the rubber hits the road. Now, Honorable Hadebe, you raised the question about the repeat findings, as well as how many have regressed and how many have improved. We do have in the general report uh, that information, it's in there. But I can share with you that uh, almost over this period, about 33 municipalities improved and 46 regressed over this uh, three-year period that we've been examining since the current administration took uh, office. The the, the point, uh, Honorable Skalvik, regarding the narrative for the future, we're listening. We are certainly going to make sure that we beef it up with additional other insights as we dip deeper and deeper into these accounts, and uh, we, we will certainly favor you with that additional narrative. <clears throat> the issue of uh, lack of uh, revenue generation and poor recoveries, we note the comments that you've made. And of course, when it comes to the internal audit function, one of the things that you'll see in the report, and you can look at the section that deals for example, with the internal audits in the free state. Uh, When we asked our teams, so what happens when internal auditors scrutinize the books? And then they will say, well, some of these internal auditors, they just get ignored their recommendations. So they just ignore their recommendations and not do anything about them. Because remember, the internal audit function is in a very uh, undesirable stroke a precarious position, if you like, if you look at where they are located in the whole setup in terms of the reporting. Mm. First of all, an internal audit function is an internal resource whose responsibility is to enhance the ability of the accounting officer to minimize the risks associated with achieving the objectives of the institution, including financial risks. Internal audit functions will not necessarily be big departments in many of these municipalities. It will be a small unit that is under the supervision and guidance of the accounting officer. But the accounting officer also is responsible for making the resources available for an internal audit function to operate. Now, if this internal audit function is going to 
be effective in its independent assessment of the accounting officer's operations, then that internal audit function needs to be much stronger. Because if it has to report certain things, for example, on deviation from supply chain, on, on, on lack of adherence to the internal systems and internal policies for financial management, then the, the accounting officer can be dismissive of an internal audit function that is not strong enough. And I think that area of the internal audit function needs to be looked at to say, to what extent can this internal audit function continue to raise difficult issues, despite the fact that it still relies on the accounting officer for the allocation of resources for its operations. Does the internal audit function have regular interactions with an audit committee and independent of uh, some of the people to whom and about whom they report? Uh, because it's also that relationship that is important for the internal audit function, whether it does have a natural engagement with the audit committee. Because chair for an internal audit function to be to be to be to be effective, it has to have an unrestricted access to various areas that it wants to interrogate. The one time the internal audit function will plan to have a look at contract management. It would sometimes want to have a look at supply chain issues. It would want to have a look at the diligence applied to look after the assets. It would want to have a look at whether all the accounts are being reconciled regularly. Those are difficult areas to look at for someone who is positioned as an independent assessor over an accounting officer. And I think maybe the system needs to just think carefully about, do we have a, an internal audit responsibility <clears throat> in our system that is likely to achieve its objectives if it continues to operate within the current configuration? Or is there something different that can be done to enhance its capacity? So there are many weaknesses in internal audit, and part of this internal audit responsibility does, from an oversight and monitoring point of view, sit at National Treasury. And I guess somebody can also ask the question, how can National Treasury, with its own systems, assist in making sure that the capacity of internal auditors in local government is raised and is enhanced uh, to a level where an internal audit function can be a control instrument that is relied upon? <clears throat> then uh, there was a question from Honorable Spies also regarding the consolidated uh, the conditional grants, sorry, that are being underspent. But I think the point also uh, to perhaps extend that uh, point you made, Honorable Spies, is that it also speaks to the overall management of conditional grants. Because if these are grants that are dispersed on the back of certain conditions that need to be adhered to, we are demonstrating through the inspection of these financial statements that some of these grants, they just go towards operational expenditure. So whatever conditions were granted with them will not really be focused on because the issue is here's money that we've received. We are already short of paying for the things that we wanted to pay for. So we're going to use this conditional grant. <clears throat> and in our accounts, we're just going to say we have adhered to all the conditions associated with what the overall uh, grant was about. So I think uh, it must first be an engagement on these grants, not only in so far as the underspending is concerned, because the underspending in most instances would be a reflection of lack of proper planning. 
So when the money arrives and you haven't planned for it, and that money is coming in large chunks, sometimes you try and sort out your immediate problems instead of worrying about a plan that will take six, six months before it uh, translates into what you wanted that money for in the first place. So to, to me, I think there's two, in, two, two elements to this. The one about the underspending as well as the overall management of these conditional grants. <clears throat> um, MPEGs, I agree again with the sentiment that they need much more uh, muscle. But the reality also that we flagged in a few municipalities, Chair, I think in the Northern Cape, were specific examples that we made on some of those municipalities. And they were saying that, you know, they just put us here and made us the MPEG members and those Vitivati, effectively, you know. And let's say I was with the MPEG members. Uh, <laughs> and then I mean, don't really understand I'm, what you must do when you go to this MPEG meeting. So you must please help us, AG, understand exactly what we must do. So there's that other extreme chair, which I think sometimes is a genuine reality. You sit there, you're a councillor, they say you must be in Amberg, they must investigate certain things. But you know what? It's not an easy thing to just jump into because there are other things that you need to embrace and to understand before you can exercise that oversight as an MPEG member. So when I say chair, someone is put into an MPEG position and they say, is not urban legend, it's real. Mm. Um, right. Those municipalities that were brought to parliament, if you remember, some of them came and they were busy trying to, shall I say, teach our staff a lesson. You know, those clandestine things where people drop envelopes and then they try to teach our people some lesson. That's the reason, among others, many of them came forward to engage us at the last time we did. I think it was early November, Chair. And uh, many of them, unfortunately, have, have produced results that were no better than the last time that they reported. The likes of, you know, Nelson Mandela ultimately finally got signed, I think, beginning of March. Their outcomes were not as good. They were not good. They were pretty much the same as what they were even before the engagement uh, took place. Um, in one slide, Honorable Mkalipi, I, I did, uh, you remember the slide that I was battling with where I said I'm showing the three-year picture? That's where the 20 municipalities are versus the 257. I think it's slide uh, number three which shows that uh, there are about 20 in total municipalities out of the 257 that had achieved a clean audit. <clears throat> the type of interventions that are required, uh, that's the slide that was dealing with the financial health risk. When we assess the financial health risk, we assess it at three levels. The one level we say there's all good indicators to suggest that there's no real problem to worry about insofar as the financial health of that municipality is concerned. So that's the first part. <clears throat> and then the part where we say intervention required, that's when we say, for example, Amatole, as an example, district. In addition to the internal control weaknesses that we've identified, 
they also are in a situation where when they have to pay for their ongoing activities, their finances are already showing signs of being wobbly, which means that don't wait until they don't have the cash. Let there be some intervention that's made. And that's why you will find that quite a number of these municipalities already, some interventions have been made, whether it is the section 139 intervention and whatever other section intervention would have been found to be necessary. So what you are saying when you say intervention required, you are saying don't just watch this thing getting to an abyss. Make a plan to find a way to rescue this thing from accelerating into the inevitable downward spiral that it is heading towards. <clears throat> so that's the type of inf intervention, I guess, that we are flagging in terms of this. And then the part, uh, again, Honorable Kalipi, regarding the corruption versus irregular expenditure. <clears throat> you know, the issue of, uh, of corruption goes deeper, deeper, and deeper, and deeper uh, below the surface, if you like. Because when you talk about corruption, we are already in the realm of intentions, you know? If there was no proper supply chain process handled in this particular transaction, when you pronounce it to be saying corrupt, that thing was because someone was corrupt, you are probably going into a territory now that an auditor will find it very difficult to provide the evidence to substantiate that fact. Because you are now casting yourself not in the fact that there's a deficiency in the accounting environment or in the systems, but you are almost pronouncing on what was the intention behind. And we don't have that instrument, quite frankly, as an audit office to be able to say, this irregular expenditure arises because somebody was not properly competent to do it which could be the option, or this other person was doing this thing deliberately because they have got something to gain from contract X that has been awarded to entity B on a particular whatever time and so on. So that's what the issue for us is. That's why we say when we raise irregular expenditure, we are not pronouncing on that irregular expenditure as a result of somebody having been corrupt, because what is going to happen, we're going to be asked the question to provide that evidence which suggests so, and we may not have it, because the scrutiny of an audit is about, did you not comply with what was required versus the standard that has been set? So, Chair, the point here is that every time we raise irregular expenditure, we are looking to, let's say in municipalities, we are looking to the council and its structures to take those items that we have identified in an audit and subject them to further investigation and scrutiny in order for them as councillors or their structures to determine <clears throat> whether this irregular expenditure arose as a result of an unavoidable emergency or has it resulted as a result of somebody being placed in a job where they do not possess the required competencies, or has it arisen as a result of somebody 
perpetuating a corrupt activity, which I think may be easy for them to answer because they would already have subjected that irregular expenditure to more substantive investigation than an auditor would be able to do. So that, I think, for me, is the key in determining whether this thing, because it can be concluded as a result of perpetuating corrupt activity for as long as that evidence has been brought forth. An auditor will struggle within that 60-day period of auditing to really get to the real essence of was it corruption or was it not, because then that requires a deep investigation. And having said that, Chair, a lot of things that that are driven by intentions of corrupt behavior will not naturally find themselves recorded in the books because the people who perpetuate corrupt activity are too smart to just put an entry in the books because it will lead to the answer that they may not want to be known. So there's a lot of interrogation activity that happens here, which also looks at things that may have happened, but did not naturally find their way into the accounting records. And I think that's how you interrogate corrupt activity, because by its very nature, it's, 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 it's handled in a very complex manner and by sophisticated methods that are meant to hide it from someone who is going to scrutinize the books. So I think the perspective on that part, I think, needs to be understood from that angle when it comes to us. And that's why in our amendment to the Public Audit Act, <clears throat> we have a provision that says that should there be a transaction where you are, as auditors are worried might be as a result of inappropriate activity, you are required to refer that particular transaction to the agencies that have got the appropriate tools and the mandate to investigate matters to that level. And so the amendment to the Public Audit Act has then dealt with that limitation that we might have. So if we come across a major payment in a particular entity and we assess it and we believe that it may be a material irregularity, the first thing we can do, depending on our analysis of its complexity, is to hand it over to a uh, investigative agency who will then take it to the depth of those investigations which may result in them concluding that indeed there was wrongdoing in that transaction. And then, uh, so I think the issue about when will the amendments to the Public Audit Act be fully uh, uh, implemented and applied, that's the journey that we are in, uh, Honorable Mkadiki. It sometimes takes quite a while for instruments like these to resonate in the system. But I think we've got enough pressure on our side to not even waste time on it. I'll just give you an example of a similar instrument in the Audit Office of Ghana. They had in their Public Audit Act, as well as in the Supreme Court laws, a provision like the one that we have. And uh, it took them a number of years without applying this until civil society organizations stood up to them and said, you shall implement those provisions in your audits. And they are busy doing it now. And it has flagged so many things uh, uh, in that environment in Ghana, even with senior ministers who now have to answer to 
a surcharge certificate, which is similar to a certificate of debt. So what we are doing on our side is, is, is really taking the early steps to make sure that we have an environment where if someone challenges a particular outcome of the audit that may result in a certificate of debt, the challenge must not be about process. It must not be about the principles of natural justice. It must be about why do you disagree with this substantive finding? Let's now talk about why you believe it is not you that must deal with this particular certificate. <clears throat> Instead of saying, we throw this out of court because the AG didn't give so-and-so enough time to navigate through the environment because this particular accounting officer is the highest level of administrative accountability but may not have been the person who carried out the transaction. It may be that their preventative controls failed and that's why you're looking to them but you give, give them the time to go through their system because they might be managing a municipality with big departments, big budgets, but they themselves as an individual accounting officer would not have been scrutinizing every single transaction. So these are the factors that come in the way to make sure that when we prepare and plan for the implementation of these amendments, we don't find ourselves having to, to be pushed back and then we end up you know, not giving the necessary credit to, I think, what is a very, very important development in terms of our public audit act. But again, we, I think if you look at many laws <clears throat> that have been passed over the years, there are very few that have found the implementation being driven within 12 months of it being approved. And I think we've made significant progress that we are already at implementation stage. That's the point I was making earlier on to say we're now going to have more and more municipalities. We're now going to have more departments. Let me just give you a sense of the departments that we've now earmarked for this within <clears throat> the PFMA environment. All education, because the big funding goes there. All health, roads and transport, water and sanitation, infrastructure, and state-owned entities. In total, the ones we've selected are equivalent to 70% of the national budget. Now, if we are going to apply these amended provisions to what amounts to 70% of the national budget within 18 months of it coming into effect, I think we've run ahead of ourselves, in essence. <clears throat> uh, but in local government, the same is going to happen. We're going to end up with about 56, 57 in the year that we are going to be auditing now. So we have, I think, done significant, uh, we've made significant progress, but we do flag the point also here, Honorable Kalipi, <clears throat> that we have, we have, once we've done minutes, our part... We have two minutes, eight, yeah? We have three. two minutes. Yeah. Once we've done our part, the people around the table in this conversation must be part of that engagement because it is going to make a lot of sense for this Public Audit Act to be effective if oversight supports it without reservation. If you come to oversight and we say we've got five certificates of debt, here's the work that we've traversed over time, here are the steps that we have taken to get to this point, <clears throat> we seek your support as oversight in whatever way. And I think that's what is going to make it worthwhile. Because those people who are administering these finances will at any time know that the tone at the top is aligned to the provisions that have been developed in the Public Audit Act. 
and therefore there's very limited room for them to run around and run away. And for me, I think that's what will make this public audit act a reality. When, 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 when we arrive at Parliament and we put it in our report, somebody needs to say that we are going to pay attention to these certificates of debt, however long it takes, for as long as this is part of our oversight instrument. So, Chair, that will be <clears throat> the major issues, I guess, that you asked me to do. But as far as the COVID-19 intervention, lastly, is concerned, um, <clears throat> Chair, let me just say that we are involved, as we have shared with uh, the committee, on doing some proactive audit works. But uh, it's a difficult territory to navigate. You know, to do this kind of work in an environment where the people are not at their workstations and all of those type of things does have its own challenges. But I must say that uh, when we have covered the bulk of the areas we've identified for this special audit, we will pronounce on it in the public domain. There's nothing much now to say, except that uh, even some of those monies, I mean, there are many things that get reported daily about this particular 20 billion has already been uh, abused, among other things. But when we speak to National Treasury and we ask them, so how much of that 20 billion have you already dispersed to the municipalities? Then municipality and then national treasury tells us that uh, we have not passed on a cent yet. Whoever is spending now is possibly spending on monies that they had in anticipation of the transfers that are yet to be made to them. So we are keeping our eyes on what's going on in that area, Chair. But as I say, we will pronounce on it once we've completed the work. But there will be many things that are pronounced in the public domain where people say the money has already been uh, squandered. But on the other side, you also understand that the money has not yet left the National Revenue Fund on a number of those packages that were being funded. And that's why we had decided that as part of the preventative control that we are going to introduce is to work closely with National Treasury so that when they transfer money to a particular place, then we say, Yes, the money has been transferred and this is what has been spent on. And that report will surface in the next few months after we've completed the initial phase of our COVID-19 audit. <clears throat> Chair, I think that's uh, the last of the points I wanted to speak to. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, AG. Uh, colleagues, uh, our, our time is a limited factor. I don't know whether do you have any comment, uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson of uh, Scopa, and then I'll get back to the Chairperson of Copta as a roundup uh, in terms of these uh, matters raised. Um, <clears throat> no, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson and uh, the Chair of Copta uh, and colleagues and to the AG and his team. I think um, for all intents and purposes, today ours was to get a briefing in so far as to what the picture looks like and for it to be unpacked. And of course, um, I must agree with the AG that um, lamentation is the easy route out. Um, it's good and well to react uh, in shock and horror, but this is something which has been with us for the longest of time, which I think um, requires some proactive action on the part of the three committees 
because as Honorable Motambi pointed out, we started an exercise which I, I think it was a good initiative of interacting with the municipalities which you know, it received the disclaimers for three years or more. So we do need to follow up on that. But I think, um, Chair, there is a need for an inward-looking uh, reflection or an introspection on the part of the oversight bodies. So Parliament, the legislatures, uh, scopers in particular, to say whether are we doing sufficient work insofar as exercising oversight in those areas. Otherwise, we will continue lamenting and receiving the same picture um, time and time again. We had Sorry, I've lost you. I've lost you, Honorable Sangwa. It might be there are more people who said uh, am I audible now? Now you're better. So, what I want to what I want to strongly suggest uh, is that, um, having received this briefing, we need to obviously get into the intricate details, as we've done previously with the um, auditor general executives, into the you know, the respective areas of concern and specifically the municipalities uh, where there are problems so that we deal with this uh, uh, bit by bit. Because if we look at the whole picture and think you're going to solve it, you won't. So there does need to be a concerted exercise and effort uh, to deal with the uh, municipalities one by one. And I think that um, that now needs to be the next phase. The final point, uh, Chair, that um, becomes of critical importance here is the fact that we, we, we really need to crack the whip on COCTA because, as we've pointed out before, the 139 interventions do not seem to be consistent in their application, and the reasons are fine for it. And even when intervention has taken place, you find that the the situations do not improve. So unless we determine concrete guidelines in so far as intervention for the purposes of financial management reaches, um, one three nine is going to continue being a political tool more than it should be as it rather as it rather than it being a tool for redress and corrective action. So I think we need to interact with the municipalities, but on the other hand we need a strategic focus in so far as how um, the COCTA is actually uh, doing in so far as interventions are concerned. I think the other points have been uh, correctly stressed and they are an important uh, yardstick measure um, of the problems and interventions are required. But from where I'm seated, Chair, I think we need to uh, you know, flip the mirror around. And, 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 and ascertain and determine whether we as the legislative bodies um, have actually done sufficient enough uh, so that we can deal with the month-on-month -month and quarter-to-quarter -quarter reporting as opposed to lamentations at the end of the year. So I think let, let us read this uh, particular briefing and report by the AG is one which must really become a turning point for oversight and, and accountability. Otherwise, in fact, it's become 
Okay. In the absence of us now, you know, strategically um, intervening, and I think I support that the three committees must work. And uh, so I think let's let's talk afterwards and set into motion a program of action in that regard. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Doctor uh, Chaperson. Mamutambi, are you still there? Yes, I'm here, Chaperson. I think. Yeah, a second. We, uh, I'm covered by what uh, uh, the chair of Scopa has said. Also, to say uh, ours is to have the tone on the top, as the AG rightfully puts it. Then they won't be running around and running away. I think. The way forward is proposed by the chairperson of SCOPA covers me greatly. Thank you, chairperson. Thank, thank you very much, uh, honorable members. The intention of the meeting was to get the briefing from the Auditor General, something which we have uh, um, received quite extensively, and uh, noting um, that the AG is uh, delivering this report uh, for the last time. Uh, he has been doing so uh, in the past instances. The advert is out for the new Auditor General. Uh, I think we need to appreciate the way he has uh, uh, done a sterling job uh, to ensure that he meets the timelines uh, for accountability and uh, to that effect uh, to uh, deepen um, the instances of ensuring that the country overall uh, on a wall-to-wall uh, for municipalities, uh, we get what we are supposed to get. It's the only pity is that uh, municipalities, uh, a number of them, uh, though audited, um, they still present um, some kind of a slacking as far as their own financials. You have uh, to engage consultants, but the results are not improving. It tells you. Uh, that uh, indeed there are serious problems in a number of those municipalities. I think let us agree um, that as a way forward, uh, various committees would have to uh, sit and look into the outlook of this uh, report, and, and then we tailor a uh, way forward in a way which is going to keep us together uh, as both, uh, in fact, the three uh, committees who are here today. Our interest is that municipalities must uh, improve. And, and uh, the number of them are not where they're supposed to be, and, and therefore there is a serious uh, problem. So yet through, uh, it's clear that we must uh, take that as our um, uh, line of march uh, to uh, get closer to those uh, municipalities. We did so um, last year, and, and uh, I think in appreciation uh, we, 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 we had uh, involvement of MECs uh, of various provinces where they could come. Uh, let, let's extend that. Um, uh, so so, so uh, we have to be uh, together right through uh, to ensure that the, the, the accountability uh, levels in terms of the controls, uh, the financial expenditure, uh, and as well uh, looking into the revenue of municipalities, which improve. So thank you very much, um, honorable members. As I've, as I've said, uh, uh, Paul, do you still have time? As I've said, there's, a, there's a, just a, a matter that we have to deal with as a committee. 
and, and therefore will unmute, uh, will mute uh, all these other members and uh, leave behind the committee members to deal with that uh, matter, which is going to take us a few minutes. Paul, Hello. do we have time? Paul? Okay. Yes, do we have time? Yes, sir, let's, let's go right ahead. Okay. Thank you very much, Chairperson uh, of Scopa and the Chairperson of Kokja. We thank you for your attendance. This this is where we now we start. Yeah, this is the start uh, of the whole thing uh, going forward. Uh, thank thank you so much. Thanks, How members. Too, Chairperson. Yeah. <laughs>
not being able to operate because of that, but because you are not insulated from the financial stresses in the system, I think it's just worth noting that there's a red flag in the horizon with regards to those dark clouds of financial risk. Thank you very much, uh, AG. Uh, Honorable <coughs> do you have comment on that? So we are allowed the AG. <coughs> Yeah, yeah, yes, Chair. Yes, Chair. Thanks. Th- thanks for the question. Perhaps let us advise AG. My advice, AG, would be uh, in remember, AG, that uh, we have also tasked your office to be hands-on, uh, particularly on auditing the COVID-19 related expenditures which is an add-on to what you are saying. Why then not to put this in writing? So that, Chaperson, uh, as we go through uh, dealing with this uh, COVID-19-related uh, budget, to be specific, uh, we also raise uh, the question of uh, AG to be catered for. That, that's what I would advise for now. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, colleagues. We 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 thought that the AG must um, uh, take us through um, uh, the light as far as sustainability is concerned, because um, it looks like that the actual standing uh, of the fiscals is is really a bit of a shaky nature, and and, and the auditor general will be affected one way or the other. Uh, so they ought to feed on us as to how are they going to be at best uh, guaranteed that what they do, they're paid for. Uh, we're still going to have a discussion with the AG on the COVID-19 audits. Uh, he promised us that towards the end of July or early August, we'll be able to come back to Is that still the, the case, AG? Yes, yes, certainly. August, uh, to be more exact, somewhere in August. That's right. Yeah. So, so it's coming back to us uh, around such. Uh, I'm sure would then be able to entertain these other questions at that time. So, thank you very much, uh, colleagues, uh, and thank you very much, uh, uh, AG. We are saying it earnestly uh, that indeed that we could uh, have this time to share with you uh, appropriately. Uh, it tells us that uh, we really have an office uh, which is up, which is a uh, uh, capacitated an office which really knows what it ought to do. Uh, we'll continue to do this up until you uh, ultimately leave in appreciation of your work together with your team. So thank you very much. Thanks very much, Chair, and uh, have a good weekend, everybody. So we are ringing off now because you are you are going into another conversation which doesn't need us. Yeah. Is it right? so uh, a conversation which is a uh, we're not going to need uh, AG, it only needs the members of the committee. Thank you very much, AG. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend, all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, AG. Well, uh, colleagues, uh, to be fast on it, uh, there is a, a correspondence uh, referred by the, the Office of the President uh, to the Office of the Speaker in relation to a number of institutions where they ought to determine uh, the salaries of uh, various uh, uh, officers. Uh, in our instance, 
we are supposed uh, to be looking into uh, that letter, which sets up some limitations in terms of salary increases. Uh, uh, in the, and in this regard, the president uh, sought to uh, lead the process for our own finalization uh, through the determination by the uh, Commission on Office Bearers uh, Salaries. Uh, the, the paragraph which is of interest to us is, is the one which has been uh, clearly marked um, with reference to the fact that the president has considered serious economic challenges the country is experiencing and the fact that the fiscal is currently constrained and he has an intention to determine the salaries and allowances of public office bearers uh, of the independent constitutional institutions as follows. Salary freezes, which is a 0% increase for office bearers earning 1.5 million rand and above. 2.8% salary adjustment for office bearers earning between 1 million and 1.5 million rand. 4.5% salary adjustment for office bearers earning below 1 uh, million. So as the National Assembly uh, Committee, um, we are required uh, to consider and approve the attached draft notice assigned by the president. There it is, uh, colleagues. Chairperson. Honorable Singh? Singh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, Chairperson, I think we have to support the principle uh, because this is what is applicable to all Chapter 9 institutions. Just a technicality which we need to check. Uh, I would prefer salary freeze for office bearers earning above 1.5, not 1.5 and above. If somebody can just check that out legally. So if it's above 1.5, salary freeze. But if it's between 1 and 1.5, then it's 2.8. Otherwise, the 1.5 becomes a bit tricky there. Do you get an increase or not? So I would say earning above 1.5 and then 2.8 and everything else remains the same. Thank you. Unknown caller. The proposal by Honorable Singh. Is there any seconder? Benzana. Uh, Honorable Lanzana. Yes, 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 Chairperson. I, I get even the, 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 this uh, trick that Honorable Singh is coming up with. Uh, I, I'm seconding him. Though we may not be, uh, I don't know, if we are able to go back to the presidency to, for him to amend the writing. But as I'm saying, but I, I, I actually... I actually second him. Uh, it, it's reasonable. Thanks. No, no. Is there any other member with uh, any other thing? We agree, Lele, to uh, honorable members. Huh? Yes, Chairperson, Lele. That's right. If if that we is agree. the case, uh, Sharon. We agree as proposed and seconded, Chair. Thank you very much. Is there any other member who wants to speak? It looks like all the members who have spoken on the matter 
agree uh, with the fact that uh, in our situation, uh, the president has outlined the limitations and therefore the office, and the, in fact, specifically, the Auditor General uh, won't benefit from uh, the salary increases uh, for the year uh, under review. Thank you very much. Is that clear? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We are going to have a meeting uh, uh, which is going to deal uh, with 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 what the AG has been referring to, uh, the question that relates to um, the COVID-19 uh, uh, audits and expenditures. But very soon, colleagues, uh, I would uh, indeed uh, ask each and every one of us to get to read the report as outlined by the AG, we're going to have a meeting where we would have to outline uh, our program based on the uh, AG's presentation. So that when we meet with other committees, we would know what is of interest in as far as a, a office on Auditor General, a committee on, on, on Auditor General uh, is concerned. So, so uh, uh, Paul will be looking for a date uh, wherein we can have that meeting, which we are going to look uh, in detail as to what are the elements of our own program uh, around what the Auditor General has uh, presented to us. Is that is that fine, colleagues? Yes, Mr. President. Just one thing, Chair. Regarding what we were talking about regarding uh, the support to the Office of the AG. If mm -hmm. you can impress uh, to him that perhaps I know it may not necessarily be today, but I would urge that if by today perhaps uh, a, a correspondence to both uh, National Treasury and the Secretary of uh, the Standing Committee on Appropriations could be received. Because today, whilst I'm in this meeting, there is a parallel meeting sitting on uh, the, the public hearings. So if perhaps by Monday latest, we could have received from that side uh, this concern about the AG's support. I would add, Chair, I'm not sure if you'll be able. Okay. No, no, fine. I'll have a discussion with the AG on that point. Yeah, just one point from me. I think the other committee that we have to involve is Treasury. Because, you know, in my experience working with audits and things like that, like I said, we can lament. If we don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. And I remember, and you'll note, Chairperson, there was Nomvalu, Accountant General. They had specific programs to train people. Treasury has got in their budget training of, uh, of people at local government level. What way is that? So perhaps the Office of the Accountant General, Treasury, uh, and COPTA and SCOPA and ourselves should meet to just get to this national, how do we deal with the whole issue of financial management on a national basis? Honorable Singh, getting into our program, we're getting into the discussion now. Uh, yeah. We're going to have, yeah, let's let's leave that. It's a very important point you're raising, but it, it falls within our program. Uh, we can invite uh, um, the, do they have? Uh, accountant general. We can invite the accountant general at, at any time that we feel to, so that we can be able to raise these uh, these elements. 
I, I think there's no uh, problem with that. But let's have it as part of our broad program. Thank you very much, honorable members. Uh, is there any other thing, Peter Paul? Um, Chair, no, not at this moment. Um, okay. I think that would be all, Chair. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thank you very much, honorable members. Um, enjoy your weekend, uh, knowing very well that there is quite a lot ahead of us. Uh, if there's collapse of municipalities where we live, they are unable to pay for electricity, for water, in as far as water ports are concerned. The AG's report has made that point clear. So now we know. Thank you very much. The meeting is adjourned. Yeah, thanks, Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you.